This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Oh, my goodness. That debate is finally over. I did get up at 2.30 in the morning, and I did uh, watch it to the end and some feedback till 11 o'clock. So I hope I make it through this. And if not, I have a really good excuse. I forgot to sleep. Uh, and I really wish I slept through it. I'm going to talk to Brett O'Donnell shortly. He's one of America's most respected presidential debate coaches and most experienced. He's going to join us and tell us that this was like no other thing I've ever seen in my life. The next one's going to be October 15th in Nashville. Then after that, it's going to be October 22nd in Miami. they got to let each other finish. And if anybody turns around and tells, says President Trump is rude and unpresidential, there was one guy who said clown, racist, Will he just shut up and the worst president ever? And it wasn't Donald Trump. So that is Joe Biden. All right. So don't tell me that Joe Biden had the class. I'll give him this. He had the energy. one 408 7669 Brad O'Donnell is coming up next. I mentioned Steve Hayes at the bottom of the hour. And you, one 408 7669 So let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's supposed to be the vice presidential debate is next, and then there's supposed to be two more presidential debates. I must say, I don't think the country's going to be yearning for another one of these. Uh, that is David Axelrod, future debates. Uh, there are more presidential debates and one VP debate. Why well, they'll be next Tuesday. Should they stay? Should we do this again? If so, what changes, if any, have to be made? Weigh in. Number two. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a show. Yeah, I'm not sure why she had the curse. I don't know what's going on in this world. Analysis of debate number one. You'll hear the analysis of the first one, what is fixable and what is not, and the reaction. I'm going to give you a wide span of reaction. I'm going to let you play it because many of you stuck with one channel, hopefully our channel. I'll let you hear everything. Number one. You get the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. You're and the, the worst way, you president waste. America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in, in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. Yeah, the personal insults just flowed. And by the way, is that necessary? No. But if you want to, if you want a conversation ender, that's how you do it. Debate one. It's a disaster for us, especially. I'm talking about the American people. We'll bring you the moments that stand out for both good and bad reasons. All right. First off, I wanted to find out if Joe Biden can split the difference between keeping his left flank, the AOCs, the the, the squad, Bernie Sanders, who are on a, a vital part of his campaign, who he says he does not agree with, who he said, I beat the socialist, who says, I don't do the new green deal. How do I keep them in the fold and put them down at the same time? That's what the president was trying to do. Number one. Number two is what would Joe Biden do different than the coronavirus? I didn't hear anything. And number three. 
could Joe Biden defend his record with Obama and with the economy and compare it to President Trump's economy before the pandemic and talk about how he stole the president's mantra, which is America, make America great again, bring jobs back to America. Now he says, make it in America. I mean, basically saying it worked for Trump. Why don't I just take it? So here's a little of the give and take. Cut one. You'll get the final word. Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. You're and the, the worst way, you president twice. America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in, in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. That's a great line. Uh, and he did point out that Joe Biden brought up that he went to Delaware State last week. He did not. It's in HBCU. It's a historically black college. He did not. Number two, he brought up the fact that he was involved cheating in Syracuse. He didn't say specifically, but that was it. And he always said he was at the top of his class, at the bottom of his class. No one cares necessarily. Uh, John McCain said, I was at the bottom of my class at, at West Point That's or at Annapolis. That's fine. But if you're going to call the president dumb or not smart, that's an issue. Then he brings it up. But the president just went plowed right through. And it seemed as though Joe Biden was allowed to do whatever he wanted. And they went back to Joe Biden after the two started sparring with each other directly. So you want to hear more? A lack of decorum? Cut three. Question Why because, would you answer that because question? Because the you question is, the question Supreme is, justice, the radical question, left. Will you shut who is up, on, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? So the president kept going. Will you shut up, man? What he didn't do, and I think if President Trump laid out, Chris Wallace would have made him do, is the question was, and it's a good one, and it's a necessary one, and it's an easy one. Are you going to pack the court if you become president of the United States? People need to know that. If you're going to change 160 years of precedent, people need to know that. If you're going to try to do what FDR couldn't, people need to know that. That means you're going to get rid of the filibuster and support getting rid of the filibuster, like he did, uh, Harry Reid did for judges. You're going to get rid of it entirely for all your legislation. As if you had 60 votes in the Senate, all you need is 51 if you get the Democratic majority. So are you going to add two Supreme Court justices to the bench? And he did not answer that question. So so instead of uh, Donald Trump letting Chris Wallace follow up with that and hoping he would, he just jumped in, and that's why he said shut up. Here's the whole thing. Cut 13. So my question to you is, you have refused in the past to talk about it. Are you willing to tell the American people tonight whether or not you will support either ending the filibuster or packing the court? Whatever position I take on that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how strongly you feel. Let vote now. Make sure. And basically, you you heard you heard how this ended. I can't even hear it again. It's so aggravating. But so that's a very simple question. But I would count on Chris Wallace, not Lester Holt or who's ever who's ever the moderator next time to go after him. But President Trump is used to just doing this himself. You know, he for a while was his own press secretary, too, before Kayleigh McEnany took over. So back at the court's a big deal. That's radicalizing the Senate is a really big deal. When it comes to the Green New Deal, well, that's another interesting because, and I'll paraphrase, roughly what it says on Joe Biden's website is that the Green New Deal is an important part of the framework of his new green energy policy. So you could honestly say you embrace the Green Deal, and Donald Trump could honestly say you embrace the, green, the new Green Deal. 
because you said it's an important part. Well, what part? How is it possibly affordable when we know energy experts say the reason why coal and, and, and Joe Biden takes credit for this, the reason why coal became, uh, you know, started taking a pounding was because it doesn't burn clean and they're trying to find a way to do that. I get it. But one of the things was the free market allowed these wildcatters to do this thing called fracking. And fracking has become so profitable and it gives natural gas and it's replacing cheaper, cleaner, replacing coal. And he took credit for reducing emissions and reducing coal plants. It was the free market done before him that brought fracking to the fray. And he does pledge to get rid of all this drilling. So the other big issue was COVID response. I'm going to let you hear this. You tell me if Joe Biden says anything that we haven't done. Cut seven. Fewer jobs than when he became friends. First one in American history. Secondly, the people who have lost their jobs are those people who have been on the front lines, those people who have been saving our lives, those people who have been out there dying, people who have been putting themselves in the way to make sure that we could all try to make it. And the idea that he is insisting that we go forward and open when you have almost half the states in America with a significant increase in COVID deaths and COVID cases in the United States of America. And he wants to open it up more. Why does he want to open it up? Why doesn't he take care of the America? You can't fix the economy until you fix the COVID crisis. And he has no intention of doing anything about making it better for you all at home in terms of your health and your safety. Okay, just understand what Joe Biden's saying. How dare he open up the country while our scientific community works on a vaccine and a therapy, therapeutic that'll work? Of course you got to open up the country. Do you feel happy watching your deli die, the dry cleaner no longer have business, mass transportation, not get some of the revenue that allows the cities to flourish or at least get on their feet again? Do you want to make sure all the restaurants stay closed while scientists sit there in their labs coming up for it? Do you have that type of time? That's what he's saying. Donald Trump would be much better off if he tackled the virus first. No, no, we have learned we have to live with the virus. We tried shutting down for the virus. We were supposed to give a month. It ends up being seven months. And now we're gradually trying to stand up the economy again because we will not have a country if it continues. Just know that's what he said. Please. And know that's what he'll do. Understand that. And he'll say, well, at least I'm doing better than the other guy. And then he'll blame the economic woes on what he inherited. We've seen that drill before. Uh, we come back, Brett O'Donnell joins us, Steve Hayes, and then your calls, one 866 I have 70 cuts uh, that Eric's been working on and Allison are working on and Pete's been working on all morning. I'm going to get to a lot of them. Yeah, I know you've seen some of it. I just want to put some in perspective and then get yours. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. He's just, he's oh, racist. You're, you're just Here's the deal. I, I know a lot more about you this. Than he does. Let him finish. The fact is that there is racial insensitivity. People have to be made aware of what other people feel like, what, what insults them, what is demeaning to them. It's important that people know they don't want to. Many people don't want to hurt other people's feelings, but it's, it makes a big difference. But, it makes uh, a gigantic difference in the way a child is able to grow up and have a, self, a sense of self-esteem. So that is the racial awareness training that's creating so much controversy that the president looked at the curriculum and says, basically, white people have to apologize for being white. And he didn't like the curriculum and he pulled it. Uh, from the federal programs. Brett O'Donnell is a presidential debate coach. He's been on before and joins us now. Uh, Brett, uh, first off, on that note, the president knows, really believes that this racial sensitivity training has an agenda and is part of the 1619 agenda. Did he cover that well last night? Well, you know, I, I think most Americans are not aware of just how much our educational system uh, and some of these training programs, and particularly the 1619 Project, are undermining American history, what, what really happened in American history, and, te- and, and attempting to teach an alternative to our students. It's, uh, it's the infiltration of really uh, uh, socialism, communism, and, and a rewrite of American history to teach us, to try and teach our kids that America and the ideals it was founded upon are, are severely flawed. And, um, I, you know, I, I think he could do a better job of explaining it. It's, it's hard to do that in such a short amount of time in a debate. Um, but uh, folks really need to be aware of what's happening in some of these programs. And I think the president is right to try to go after this argument because it is part of the liberal left-wing pro- project to remake America. Brett, how did the uh, president, first off, how did the president do last night? Well, you know, I thought both of them were way too hot. Uh, You know, I I think the president would be better served if he would let Joe Biden hang himself, because what you saw last night was a dishonest liberal in Joe Biden. Wouldn't answer questions, 
particularly the question on packing the court, ending the filibuster, was dishonest about his health care project, was dishonest about his position on the Green New Deal. Within the same two sentences, he said, first of all, the Green New Deal will pay for itself, and in a sentence later said it's not his, uh, it's not his uh, plan, that he, he doesn't support it. Um, and so I think the president would do better to let Joe Biden sort of, sort of, uh, you know, uh, demonstrate uh, the flaws in those ideas um, and and show just how flawed uh, his liberal project is. Uh, it was it was one of the worst things I've seen for ninety minutes. There wasn't one moment where I thought that's interesting. Well, that was a good point. Well, that was a good counterpoint because they just kept jumping in on each other. Uh, and in the end, no one look, no one is any better for it. Do you get the sense they're not going to do it again? Well, you know, you have to take the Biden campaign at their word, uh, and they say that they're going to appear in the next two debates. So, um, uh, if they say they're going to do it, we have to we have to think they are. And I think that uh, you know, b- both of them should strive to to give us a, a civil debate so that their positions can actually be. Uh, 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 explained to to the public. I think that's really important that the president let Joe Biden have the opportunity to justify uh, some of his liberal left wing policies. Uh, Joe Biden was asked about, you know, the relatively breaking news, and that was about Amy Coney Barrett and the tour she was taking to introduce herself to Republicans. And a lot of Democrats don't want any part of it. Here it is. Cut 12. The justice, and I have nothing, I'm not opposed to the justice. She seems like a very fine person. What she's written before she went on the bench, which is her right, that she thinks that the Affordable Care Act is not constitutional. The other thing that's on the court, and if, if, if it's struck down, what happens? Women's rights are fundamentally changed. And that's where the president's vulnerable, because they, he has not, and his party has not come up with a an alternative to it, it is just takeaway, and they have not done a good job communicating to people who are nervous about their health care. Do you understand? Do you understand yeah. how the Democrats feel that that was well articulated? Uh, absolutely. I mean, the Democrats are going to spend a billion dollars trying to convince people that Amy Coney Barrett is going to take away their health care. And the president needs to expose that argument. The first thing is we have no idea. There are eight other justices. We have no idea how the court is going to rule on uh, on that case. And the second thing is, look, it's dishonest. It's just a dishonest argument because everybody wants people with preexisting conditions to have coverage. Republicans have plans to do that. Democrats want it covered. So regardless of what the court does, People are going to have their pre-existing conditions covered. Democrats are just trying to scare people as a distraction to their program, which is to put everybody on government-run health care. Joe Biden was completely dishonest about that last night. He he uh, 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 didn't admit to the fact that you know he has bought into the Bernie model of health care. That's what the Democrats are aiming for. The president has to do a better job of unpacking the dishonesty of their court uh, affordable care health care argument. But now I agree with you, and they just got to come up with a better answer. They don't, and that and that's really on them. Here's uh, here's the president how how he ended it on the mail in ballots. Cut twenty eight. There's fraud. They found him in creeks. They found some with the name Trump. Just happened to have the name Trump just the other day in a waste paper basket. It's honest. No one has established at all that there is fraud related to mail-in ballots. Do you think that the president uh, and Joe Biden uh, argued that effectively? 
So I, I actually thought the president did a pretty good job uh, 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 hammering out the, the mail-in ballot case. Um, he, you know, it, it, the, the, the Democrats' answer to all of this is there's not any fraud, there's not any fraud, there's not any fraud. The problem with that is there is now instance and there is example after example of mail ballot problems where mail ballots are being sent to people they shouldn't be sent to, being sent to dead people, being sent to dogs. Uh, people are getting two ballots. I mean, there's there's instances all across this country. We're asking states that have had in-person voting and absentee voting to revamp their entire voting process in the space of months. It's taken states that do. I this know. And you know, Brad. Years. I almost feel, and you're the you're the expert. We're up against a break here. You could almost get Biden involved. Hey, 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 Joe. You should be just as uh, into this as I am. We just want the right verdict. We don't want any verdict. We want the right verdict. It should exactly. be a bipartisan thing, but that's an option option for the president. But I think that ship has sailed. Brett, thanks so yep. much. I appreciate it. Good to be with you. And hopefully talk to you after the VP debates next week. Steve Hayes next. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Question Why because, would you answer that because question? Question you is, the question Supreme is, the question is, the radical question, left. Will you who shut is up, on, man. Listen, who is on your list, Joe? And then it's Joe Biden. He called the president a racist. He called him a clown. He called him the worst president uh, ever. And he told him to shut up. And actually, their camp is now printing up T-shirts that say, shut up, man. Uh, so, Stephen uh, Hayes, I would never say that to Fox News contributor, editor and CEO of The Dispatch, which I get every day. I'm a subscriber. Didn't get any break. I was surprised. But I'm I'm very happy with the product. Uh, Steve, were you surprised at the name? We First off, your take on what we saw last night. Yeah, I mean, my, my big picture takeaway is that it was just a disappointing night for America, honestly. I mean, I just think you have to you have to imagine that many people around the country who are watching that spectacle to say to themselves, well, can't we do better than this? Yes. I mean, really, this is all we have. Great. And so in that sense, you know, I, I think it's it's kind of a, a culmination of the of our politics over the past uh, many years. Um, I was surprised that, that Joe Biden said, shut up, man. Um, you know, you hear his defenders say, well, you know, he was speaking for the country and people are so sick of Donald Trump going on and on and interrupting and everything. It's, it's time that somebody stood up to him, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think that was Joe Biden's plan. Um, as you point out, they're 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 trying to make it a thing now. They're put, putting out T-shirts. They're they're sort of owning it. But if you go back to the very first answer that Joe Biden gave, he called Donald Trump Mr. President. He in in the midst of his answer, he addressed him as the president, and it sounded to me like the the plan, at least coming out, was to treat Donald Trump with respect, to be tough with him, to challenge him, to uh, highlight policy differences, but to treat him with respect. And as the night wore on, that clearly didn't happen. It didn't. Uh, and that was one of the main issues. The first issue was Supreme Court justice and uh, the fact the president's going to push forward. I got elected uh, for four years. 
Here is uh, a little of that exchange, cut nine. As far as the say is concerned, the people already had their say. They, okay, Justice Ginsburg said very powerfully, very strongly, at some point, 10 years ago or so, she said a president and the Senate is elected for a period of time. But a president's elected for four years. We're not elected for three years. I'm not elected for three years. So we have the Senate. We have a president. He's elected to the next During election. that period of time, during that period of time, we have an opening. So he was explaining it, and he went through it. But they interrupted each other constantly back and forth. Uh, in the end, it was Joe Biden who would not answer the question about is he going to pack the court. Why? Well, I thought that that answer on the court was was Donald Trump's best moment of the debate. I thought it was a very good answer. It was clear that sure. he had studied. I mean, I think the fact that he could come back with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg comment to, to justify or to explain why he's doing what he's doing uh, was smart. And I thought putting it in the context of a four-year presidency makes sense. I think that's something that, that will resonate with people who are listening, maybe people who weren't paying pen- attention to this sort of day-to-day stuff. I also think it was a problem that Joe Biden wouldn't answer the question. I think that's just incredibly weak. You know, he's, he'd indicated in the past that he wasn't interested in packing the court. Now that the left is pushing him to do it, he won't say, he won't, he won't just say what he said before. And we know that Kamala Harris has uh, said that she'd consider it, has shown some interest in packing the court. Even, you know, more moderate Democrats like Pete Buttigieg ran on in the idea that that would be something Democrats should consider. Now you have the left of his party pulling him to do it, and he won't say that he won't do it. It's the kind of thing that, you know, I think I think some of the Trump campaign's uh, attacks on Joe Biden as, you know, a Bernie Sanders light are over the top. They, it, it's not really true, even though I think Biden is running on the most progressive agenda of any Democrat in recent memory. It's not true that he's basically Bernie Sanders. But he should be able to answer the question about packing the court. And when he doesn't, when he refuses, it it helps Trump make his point. You know, if, if, if you won't stand up to the left on something like packing the court, when will you stand up to him? And when it comes to the new Green Deal, which we know is basically should have come with a laugh track, it's going to cost, I think, $200 trillion when people just stop counting. And we're killing cows, getting rid of planes and cars, obviously. And the president, the vice pre- former vice president says in his platform that the new Green Deal is the framework of his energy plan. So if the president was more articulate in saying those words exactly, he'll get to Joe Biden to a place in which he wants him, and that is forced to disavow the way left or talk about how he's bringing them in. But right now he's just saying, that's not me. I beat the socialist. I'm not radical left. I'm AOC. I'm a moderate guy. Do I look like a socialist to you? But if you can go and show the programs that he is uh, that he's talking about, it certainly seems wide left. How's that? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I, I basically – we had a very good analysis by, by Brian Riedel um, from the Manhattan Institute in the dispatch a couple weeks ago looking at the proposed spending. We, we've been running a series called The Biden Agenda where we're taking deep looks at the policy stuff, um, the, the details of the policy proposals of, of Joe Biden to, to try to fashion what his presidency would look like were he to be elected on November 3rd. And Brian Riedel at the, the Manhattan Institute uh, broke it down and said, you know, Joe Biden is proposing spending $11 trillion over the next decade and walked through point by point 
um, just how little plan there is to to pay for any of this. So I think it's a fair charge to say that Joe Biden is running as a progressive in the sort of gauzy language of a moderate. But you're right. I mean, Donald Trump didn't make that point very well. In fact, there was very little discussion of policy overall. And I think a lot of that is Donald Trump's fault. I mean, he was blustering, interrupting, yelling, shouting, talking over our colleague, Chris Wallace, um, you know, not really seeming to be interested in the policy details of the debate, the, the kinds of questions that Chris was asking him. We shouldn't be surprised. That's sort of who Donald Trump is. He's never really interested in the policy details. He doesn't really talk about them very effectively. Uh, but it was, I think that contributed to and, and really was the main cause of the, the disappointing night last night was that Trump just didn't want to talk about that stuff. And, and I would say this too, it seems like in a way, Joe Biden was interrupting Trump and then had to end up getting the question back a few times. I'm thinking to myself, how did that happen? Uh, here is uh, Joe Biden talking about the president, one of the president's strengths, I think, cut 18. And so you take a look at what he's actually done. He's done very little. His trade deals are the same way. He talks about these great trade deals. You know, he talks about the art of the deal. China's made perfected the art of the steel. We have a higher deficit with China now than we did before. We have the highest deficit, trade deficit China with Mexico. So the USMCA, the vice president's already on the record saying it's better than NAFTA. And to get China to the table, they had to rip each other apart for the most part, and we had to pour all types of subsidies to try to sustain the farmers while they while, while they fought it out. Do you think that was an effective argument for Joe Biden? I think he could have made it better. I think he's right on the policy. I think the China policy has been disastrous. I think our trade policy overall under Donald Trump has been disastrous. It's It's crazy to me that we're basically fighting with China at, at sort of a high level and, you know, shoveling money out the door to subsidize the farmers who are being punished by by these these trade fights. It just doesn't make any sense. The manufacturing sector has been hurt and hurt pretty badly, as Joe Biden suggested. You look at what's happened with the steel and aluminum tariffs. They've been a net negative. The American consumers are paying more. I think he's been pretty disastrous on trade. I don't think Joe Biden made that case very well. And I don't think he made his case on those issues where he has those openings very well at all. He seemed sort of lost as he was trying to make his points again and again and again. And he had he came with these canned lines. You know, you, you, you heard one there in the clip that you played where he was talking about the art steel. of the deal and then yeah. called it the art of the steel. He, he came with like 10 of those, and he often delivered them to camera talking to the viewers, and I think it made him sound like a politician and not a particularly good politician. He just wasn't very effective at delivering those lines. Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, it, I heard the stat, and I haven't heard it challenged. Before the pandemic, the president added almost 500,000 uh, manufacturing jobs. He did cut a new trade deal with Japan and South Korea, and the USMCA, by almost all accounts, is better than NAFTA. With uh, with China, the goal was, we're going to go at each other until we get a better deal, but first got to get your respect. And in the short term, farmers were hurt because he thought that would hurt the president the most, so they wrote checks for it. The goal, I think, would be to get a deal that's workable prior to the pandemic. They had phase one. So you could see a plan there, couldn't you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I, you and I probably just won't agree on this. There's a, we have a great, I don't mean to keep sending people to uh, the dispatch, but while I'm at it, we have a great uh, analysis, comprehensive analysis of Trump's trade policies written by Scott Lincecum, who's a, a scholar at the Cato Institute and who writes a, a regular economics newsletter for the dispatch. And he just walks through point by point the ways in which this has cost 
the consumer, the ways in this in which this has punished American businesses, even in many cases the ones that it's meant to protect, and it's been a, a major net negative. So I I don't I don't and I, and we're not even seeing phase two. I mean, there's all this talk of phase two. There's all these promises of the benefits that are supposedly to come. When are we going to see them? I don't I don't I don't have any confidence that we will. So when it comes to these riots and law and order, the president did better. But when it comes to condemning white supremacists, he blew an open an open court layup. Why do you think that is, and what do you think is going to happen with that until the president steps forward and just walks that back? You know, it's weird. Look, he, he does this a lot, right? He's done this before, and I would go further. I don't think he just blew an open court layup. He gave – he gave strength to to the Proud Boys, which is this virulent, violent, far right extremist, I would say racist group. In the context of being asked to condemn white supremacists, he said, "Well, I'm prepared to." And then he said to about the Proud Boys, you know, stand back, but stand by. And they're, they've that group has already adopted that as sort of a new slogan, and it's worse than just missing an opportunity. He's strengthening a group that's aligned with white supremacists that has leaders who have written for white supremacist outlets. He did this also with David Duke back in the day. Remember, he was late to condemn David Duke. He was being asked to and he wouldn't do it in in these awkward exchanges with his interviewers. I think my view is he is – Donald Trump grew up a Manhattan liberal, right? And he had a certain view of what conservatives believe and who conservatives are in his head. And he thinks that a bunch of his base and conservatives are sympathetic to these groups. So he's reluctant to denounce them because he doesn't want to piss off some of his base, and it's it's appalling. I mean, it's like I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine who's unaligned, not he was actually one of the very few undecided voters in America to this day. And I was talking to him this morning and he said, look, if you can't just give me a straight condemnation of white supremacy without like stumbling over your words, I'm out. It's like I'm not condemning. It's not like I'm not I'm going to come out for evil. You know, it doesn't right. make any sense. Exactly. But but Steve, I, I have a that's an interesting conclusion. I actually think differently. What if someone just keeps telling you over the, if they just keep saying, I want you to condemn this. He does not like being told what to do. He does not like following what to do. And it's to him so obvious that white supremacists aren't up his alley that he's like, what do I have to need? What do I have to do what you want me to do? And I think it's his obstinance on something he thinks is a given. But what he's saying with the Proud Boys is, listen, He's looking at this and saying, in Portland, I tried to help out, and they just basically told me to go get lost. They blame me. So I pulled out, and we have 120 straight days of violence. So in uh, Kenosha, after two or three days, in come people who say no one else is going to protect him. The cops have been told to sit on the sideline. I'm going to take things into my own hands. And in a way, there's, he's saying he's seeing they people will only take disorder and a lack of security so far. And if you're not going to rein people in, they're going to take things into their own hands. And he's saying the Proud Boys only came in because law enforcement was not allowed to come in. So in his mind, yeah, you want me to condemn a bunch of people who come in two months into an insurrection? And now you want to, you're saying they're the problem. And that's him just being stubborn. 
I mean, your your substantive answer there is a lot better than the answer that he gave. I just I will agree to disagree on this. I, I think that's not the case that he's just being stubborn. You nobody sane would be stubborn about condemning white supremacists. I mean, it is like the easiest thing to condemn. Uh, it's like I don't Nazis. Care how it's like Nazis. You are yeah yeah. Like I don't care how stubborn you are. It's insane that you won't do it. And my problem is we've seen this before. He has shown this reluctance. Whatever you want to think about the, the, the both sides or the, the, the good people on both sides argument, it was clear that Donald Trump in the press conference after Charlottesville did offer a condemnation of white supremacists. But he also – went out of his way to say there were white there were good people on on both but, sides there weren't good people on both sides there was no positive rally well, after charlottesville those good people didn't exist but, but steve there were people that just don't the there were people in the south great people who don't want confederate statues taken down that That's was a different point. argument i'm talking about charlottesville at charlottesville there were the only people who were marching and rallying were associated with richard spencer and the white supremacist groups that had gathered there the groups the the, the pro-confederacy groups the the sons yeah. of confederacy and the people who are protesting to preserve the monuments and preserve the history, they weren't involved in those protests. We talked to them back at the time. They said, we didn't have people there. It was only well, the bad people. So there weren't both my, people on both I sides. Guess I, I'm it's up a against pattern the, for him, though. That, uh, that's the problem. I, 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 I look for him to walk that back today. He talks every day. I've so, I think he's going to address the white supremacist thing today because it's so stupid. It's, it's one of the dumbest things, uh, the most tone-deaf things that he, I've ever seen in a debate. And I yeah, can't I believe agree. it. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. I don't think there's going to be any more debates after the vice presidential debate. We'll see. Pick it up in the dispatch. You get some great analysis there. Steve Hayes, thanks so much. Anytime. Thanks, Brian. Back in a moment. Getting past all the rhetoric. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. talk show that's getting you talking you're with brian kilmeade adding seats to the u.s supreme court neither you nor joe biden are willing to give a straight answer as to whether or not you're willing to entertain that idea is that an idea that you're willing to think about we are 35 days away from an election that is probably the most important election of our lifetime and 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 in our children's lifetime and there is nothing about these next 35 days that Joe or I will take for granted. And so the focus right now is on reminding people that we have this election that is very much in play. She does not answer the question, and she should not be allowed to get away with that. Pound them every day. And uh, we know Joe Biden's going on a train tour. See if someone throws a question uh, on that uh, to him. Meanwhile, I'm getting a lot of emails. Uh, last night, this is from a WHIO listener, uh, and it is... From it doesn't give a name, 
It says, hey, last night the debates, what a total dud. It was a nightmare. It did not change my mind on voting for Trump. I doubt that the debates did much to convince any fence-sitters. I've never witnessed such unprofessionalism and total disregard for the position of the President of the United States. The word clown, shut up, et cetera, coming out of Biden, Biden's mouth. Unbelievable indeed. Uh, always listen to your show. Uh, that's uh, that's really what I'm getting from a, a lot of people. There's so many different emails. Joe Biden video seen wearing a, a wire last night at the presidential debate. Please see the link below. I saw that. I don't believe it. Uh, and how about this? My two cents. I hope uh, your day goes okay because last night did not go okay. Uh, everybody watch has to be let down. I watch every presidential conference. DT and Kaylee, I feel like I know how our president communicates. I figured that it could go this way. Actually, I envisioned it. It was said. It was said all around. Everybody I know was disappointed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We've got Senator Bill Cassidy. Always love having him on. And uh, we also have uh, John Yu will be on from the Hoover Institute out in the West Coast. So it's great to have him on. I was over at Berkeley as well. one 408 so uh, last night, everybody's talking about the debate. So that's really what the debate with, with the big three is about. As we come to you from New York City and heard around, uh, heard around the world, around the country, obviously. Keep, keep in mind, there's another story that's brewing here. In New York, Mayor de Blasio is condemning the Board of Elections here because, again, they put out absentee ballots, 140,000 with the wrong names and addresses. They blamed the vendor. Evidently, they've done this a lot, while the governor blames the mayor and says, you better clean up the city and the sanitation. Uh, maybe the governor could start realizing he's supposed to govern the entire state. That would, try to, that would certainly help. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's supposed to be the vice presidential debate is next, and then there's supposed to be two more presidential well, debates. I must say, I don't think the country's going to be yearning for another one well. of these. Uh, that is David Axelrod, Future Debates. There are two more presidential debates and one VP debate, one coming up on Tuesday on the calendar. Should they stay there? If so, what changes, if any, would you like to see? Number two. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a show. Yeah, no reason to curse, uh, considering that the classlessness we saw on the stage last night, and then we see it in other networks. Analysis, debate of number one. You'll hear analysis from the first debate, what is fixable and what is not, reaction from all across the board. Number one. You've got the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. You're the, the worst way, president you're America has ever had. Hey, hey Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in, in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. 
debate one a disaster for all, especially the American people. We'll bring you the the moments that stand out for both good and bad reasons. All right, a couple of things. I don't know what Joe Biden would do different on the coronavirus. That matters. I don't know if he's going to stack the court. That matters. I don't know what his new Green Deal is. That matters. I don't know the role that Bernie Sanders and AOC and the squad are going to play in his administration if, in fact, he gets in. And that matters. I think that when it comes to court nominations, we don't have a list. And I think with his new health care plan, the president is caught weak on this because the president does not have a plan to replace. They have a plan to, I guess, piece by piece replace with the uh, what is Obamacare now. And which since it's going to be heard by the Supreme Court in, in the week after the election, that brings it front and center. I do not know how Joe Biden gets away with the manifesto he he signed with Bernie Sanders and then says has nothing to do with me. I think that could be an issue, and that's what the president tried to bring up last night. But before you get on the president, who was very abrasive and tough, no doubt about it, just keep in mind, there was one candidate who said, shut up. There was one candidate who called the other a clown. There was one candidate that called the other a racist. There was one candidate that called him the worst president ever, and it was Joe Biden to Donald Trump. Cut one. You get the final word. Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. You're and the, the worst way, you president twice. America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. Yeah, he went on. Uh, the insults started fast and furious. What happened is, I think in retrospect, I think it's basically agreed on. If the president let Joe Biden answer more. He would have talked himself into circles. He never answers the question. Chris Wiles is really good at picking that up, and he would have followed it up. But the president was jumping in because he was outraged that he wasn't answering the question. And the president's been dying for this moment for years, for really four years. Cut to. But why didn't you do it over the last 25 years? Because you you weren't president screwing things up. You were a senator. And you're the, the worst way, you president vice... America has ever had. Hey, hey Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. We've done things that you never even thought of. Okay. Doing. And he can compare both administrations. Where's the $800 billion stimulus package that Joe Biden was in charge of? How, did the, how about his great decision to pull all the troops out of Iraq after the surge? Next thing you know, there's this thing called ISIS. What about his decision on Libya? It's now a terror state after he says, let's kill Gaddafi. And now nobody gives up their nuclear weapons. Uh, there is so much on foreign policy and domestic policy. In terms of family entanglements, there was a report out of the Senate that needs to be addressed. And Joe Biden never addressed it, that his son was in a business relationship with the wife of the mayor of Moscow, prostitutes, Ukrainian investment, Burisma, and a Chinese investment. All this stuff is up for debate, but we never got to the bottom of it. And Chris Wallace was offended that Joe Biden, that Joe Biden was speaking and Donald Trump was jumping in. But when Joe Biden was jumping in and Donald Trump was speaking, he oftentimes didn't really even get a warning. So I think it's because Donald Trump started offending Chris Wallace, which should not happen. But maybe we'll talk to him tomorrow about that. So Joe Biden came out, and I wrote this down last night because it was the replay was on when I was in the shower. I watched the whole thing. Here is Joe Biden slamming the president's COVID response. Okay. Well, what would he do? I still don't know. Cut seven. Fewer jobs than when he became friends. First one in American history. Secondly, the people who have lost their jobs are those people who have been on the front lines. 
those people who have been saving our lives, those people who have been out there dying, people who have been putting themselves in the way to make sure that we could all try to make it. And the idea that he is insisting that we go forward and open when you have almost half the states in America with a significant increase in COVID deaths and COVID cases in the United States of America. And he wants to open it up more. Why does he want to open it up? Why doesn't he take care of the America? You can't fix the economy until you fix the COVID crisis. And he has no intention of doing anything about making it better for you all at home in terms of your health and your safety. Newsflash. We've been doing this for nine months. We get it. This is all we ever hear. Wear a mask, keep six feet apart, don't go to parties, and please don't smile. Uh, Joe Biden becomes president. Is he going to tell every governor, come with me, I'm going to tell you exactly what to do? The testing's got to be flooded, it's got to be faster, but the Abbott tests are a step in the right direction. But in terms of you want people to change their behavior, we've changed it. And we'd go back to work because staying at home keeps the economy on its back and our country on its knees. So he has no choice. You cannot live by the scientists. You're going to be advised by the scientists. That scares me. This guy becomes president. He's going to shut it down again. When the president pointed out, he said, I'm not going to do it. But that's exactly what you said. And we'll talk about that. And also we're going to talk about the uh, we're going to talk about Amy Barrett of Amy Amy. Coney Barrett and her tour meeting Republican senators yesterday. His hearing supposed to start in a couple of weeks. We're also going to talk about James Comey coming to Capitol Hill this afternoon. That should be fascinating. So many revelations since he was last there. And um, we know about the movie uh, with Jeff Daniels. It makes him look like a hero. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So Senator Kennedy next. I want to get his take. Is this going to help or hurt? Uh, help or hurt people down ballot? Senator Cassie, I should say. Uh, he's going to be joining us. Is this going to help or hurt uh, them down ballot? And because you have guys like Tom Tillis, you have Joni Ernst, you have Cory Gardner, who really have no margin for errors. Is this going to help or hurt them? We'll discuss that. And John Yu at the bottom of the hour, he's written a book, Defender in Chief, Donald Trump's Fight for Presidential Power. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Under this president, we become weaker, sicker, poorer, more divided, and more violent. When I was vice president, we inherited a recession. I was asked to fix it. I did. We left him a booming economy, and he caused a recession. With regard to being weaker, the fact is that I've gone head-to-head with Putin, and made it clear to him we're not going to take any of his stuff. He's Putin's puppy. He still refuses to even say anything to Putin about the bounty on the heads of American soldiers. Wow, there's a lot there. And I think the next time, if they do, in fact, have another debate, and I doubt it, the president should take a deep breath and dive into this because, man, is that right? When you consider what he had, he had a whole lot of money to spend. The economy already started turning around after the Great Recession. 
and he was able to build on that. And to run on on 2% or 1.5% growth against Donald Trump is something even the American people don't buy, judging by almost every poll. Senator Dr. Bill Cassidy joins us now. Senator Cassidy, I believe that uh, Joe Biden thinks his strength, uh, the economy's his strength, should he? (laughs) I'm sorry to laugh, but when you talk about the average voter, that kind of guy and gal that just kind of gets up every morning, grabs their lunch pail, so to speak, and goes to work, it clearly did better under President Trump. And the irony is, if you're the financier in Wall Street, that's when you really did well, under the Obama, under the Obama-Biden regime, if you will. So the president, if you just look at it statistically, it's record low unemployment for you name the group, Brian, with wage growth disproportionately in the lower income strata. Those are the folks that did well under President Trump, not so much under Obama-Biden. So here's a little of the tone yesterday. Cut to. But why didn't you do it over the last 25 years? Because you weren't president. Because you weren't president screwing things up. You were a senator. And You're the, the worst way, you president vice... America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let me, let me just tell you, Joe. I've done more in in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. So we've done you... things that you never even thought of okay. doing. So, Senator, when you were listening to this, what are you thinking at home? I actually thought that was a great line. And I thought that was the point the president should have drilled down on the entire debate and just going over how we had record low unemployment for for the disabled, for high school dropouts, for African-Americans, for veterans, for women, and continue to go back to that. The president inherited 8 percent unemployment from Joe Biden. And so and Joe Biden's kind of and then took it down to like, I don't know, three or four percent. And Joe's kind of touting his record. Uh, the president has more to tell. You're a doctor. I think the president's vulnerable and your party's vulnerable because they don't have something to replace Obamacare. And it's very much on the docket second week in November. So what's your answer to that when people come up to you and say, we don't like Obamacare, but what are you guys doing? Yeah, so what's what actually what we've done. And that's the problem. I'm sitting there watching that, Brian, so frustrated. Do you notice that under Obamacare, under Obama-Biden, Everybody complained about high middle-class premiums. They couldn't afford their premiums. Those complaints have receded. Why? Because this administration did so much to make insurance more affordable. Now, now, if you have under the Obama-Biden regime, we can't afford our premiums. We're middle class. What happened? And now under Trump, you say, huh, those aren't the headlines anymore. The guys actually, yeah, they're too high, but it's not like it's a second mortgage. They've come down dramatically. It's actually what he's done with association health plans, with other things that have been done uh, to allow people to get the policies they need, not the policies that's forced on them. Uh, the president's done a lot. I think he could have made a better case for it. He should have, and I think he's got to go over that again. But the whole tone of it really was a turnoff. I don't know anybody who liked that debate uh, at the end of it. I, I just think the whole country feels worse. Well, I agree with that. I will say you kind of know what you're getting with the president. What I took away is that we don't really know what we're getting with Joe Biden. And I was thinking he was hiding in the basement just because of fear of coronavirus. But he didn't want to answer about his judges. Um, He disavowed the Green New Deal one sentence after saying it would create all kinds of jobs and pay for itself. Uh, There's a lot that he just ducked and weaved or rope-a-doped. And so I'm not sure we came out knowing exactly what President Biden would do. 
at least put it this way, we think we know what he would do, but he certainly did his best to avoid telling us what he would do. So here is Joe Biden talking about another area of your expertise, and that's the medical profession, and we're talking about the coronavirus, cut six. This is the same man it's who all told set you up. by Easter this had be gone away. By the warm weather, it'd be gone. Miraculous. Like a miracle. And by the way, maybe you could inject some bleach in your arm, and that would take care of it. This is the that same man. That was said sarcastically. That was, you seemed, know that. I, that I, was said sarcastically. And so here's the deal. This man is talking about a vaccine. Every serious, every serious company is talking about maybe having a vaccine done by the end of the year. But the distribution of that vaccine will not occur until sometime beginning or the middle of next year to get it out if we get the vaccine. And pray God we will. So you, who's right here? Referee. So neither is entirely wrong nor entirely right. If the vaccines that are currently being tested in phase three, the final phase, work, there's 10 to 20 million doses already produced. Those will be distributed by the end of the year. The key term that Biden used was generally available. That first 10 to 20 million will be used for doctors, nurses, ward clerks, all frontline uh, nursing home folks as well. Generally available, though, that means 310 million Americans need to be vaccinated, and that will have to ramp up. So the president will dramatically decrease the death rate because those at greatest risk will be vaccinated and protected. But in terms of getting the person who's at low risk, the high school senior, uh, that may be in June. So uh, it's a strategy that the administration has taken. Uh, I don't think that Biden would have done anything differently. Uh, and and so I think the president could have explained that better. Right. So on climate change, he's bringing us right back to the Paris climate deal where taxpayer dollars go to other countries. Uh, I, I don't see that working. The Paris deal uh, is something that I don't think works for the American people. That's why it didn't even put, get put up for a vote in the Senate. That's why you could walk away from it. Uh, and that's why they walked away from the Iran deal, too. But now when you talk about climate change, no one's running from that. But they want a plan that's not going to destroy the country. Here's Joe Biden, cut 34. The Green New Deal will pay for itself as we move forward. We're not going to build plants that, in fact, are great polluting plants. Do you We're support the re- Green New Deal? P- pardon me? you support that? No, I don't support the Green oh, New Deal. Oh, you don't? Oh, well, that's a you big let, statement. I support the Biden. That means the, you just Biden. the radical left. I, su- okay. I support oh, the don't. Biden plan that I put forward. Okay. The you know, Biden plan, which is He, he started by saying... I have the great new new green deal. And then he walked back off it in his on his website. It says the new green deal is the framework for his energy plan. So we've seen what it's brought in California, which has one of the mildest climates in the nation in which now they've had to keep natural gas plants going because otherwise they'd have energy shortages. So now think of the south or think of the north where it's either hotter or colder. It's not quite as climate you're going to actually need something beyond renewables that don't always work. Now, now Joe's going to duck and weave on that. The president, I think, tried to get there. He said, by the way, if you make a car so expensive that someone can't afford it, they continue to drive their old car, which gets much worse gas mileage. And so in a weird sort of a no, but in a real way, you end up having more air pollution from the older car than if you allow it to be more affordable and to be able to have better gas mileage. Now, the president tried to make that point. It kind of got drowned out and all the other stuff being said. So do you think there'll be another debate? 
You know, I think there are, I actually think that we came out of this, Brian, you, you're making some cuts, which kind of crystallize. But when, when, if we've got a direction to go in, either we go back to higher taxes and more regulation, because that's absolutely part of the green new deal that Biden's talking about. He said, I'm going to raise your taxes. Where did that get us? It got us one to two percent growth in which working Americans didn't do as well. So, Senator Uh, Bill Cassie, always great to talk to you. John, you next. James Comey testifying. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So my question to you is, you have refused in the past to talk about it. Are you willing to tell the American people tonight whether or not you will support either ending the filibuster or packing the court? Whatever position I take on that, that'll become the issue. The issue is the American people should speak. You should go out and vote. You're in voting now. Vote and let your senators know how you strongly you feel. Let, vote now. You pack Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question. Yeah, why didn't he answer the question? There's really no excuse for it. Uh, let's bring in, uh, let's bring, bring in John Yu. John is uh, with the, he's the U, U, Emanuel S. Heller Professor at Law at the University of California, Berkeley, and author of the new book, Defender-in-Chief, Donald Trump's Fight for Presidential Power. John? Uh, when, we, when we were talking about packing the court, we don't get an answer. When we talk about the filibuster ending, we don't get an answer. A Supreme Court justice, he doesn't believe we should be voting on it. Is that acceptable? No, it's not. These are questions that the American people need answered. And think how easy it would have been for Joe Biden to stand up for the independence of our courts. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to pack the court. You know, No, I'm not going to seek an end to the filibuster. But instead, he wouldn't answer those questions. It makes you think, I think, with good reason, that they're reasonably considering it. And I think it's a dangerous thing. We have had nine justices on the Supreme Court since just after the Civil War. Americans from both parties have resisted the temptation to try to meddle with the numbers of the court, the justices on the court, in order to try to achieve the objectives that they want. Because if we do that, we'll destroy the idea that the courts are going to be the neutral umpires in our politics. It'll just debase the courts into just another politicized actor. But I mean, not only that, if you get rid, uh, if you fatten the court and you get rid of the filibuster, what about the Electoral College? Could that be next? Well, if you get rid of the filibuster and you pack the courts, then a lot of things become possible. It's an effort to chip away at the guardrails that make sure our democratic system work. You could start adding more states, which would unbalance the Senate, would unbalance the Electoral College. You could start adding more members to the House. You could pass almost any legislation you wanted. That's not the system our founders wanted. They created a system with a House, a Senate, a President, and, of course, to make sure that democracy was slowed down, that we thought about things, not that we let a party that barely wins a majority to jam through everything they want in some kind of radical change to our system. Yeah, it's it's amazing what's taking place. A lot of people are also uh, looking at Amy uh, Coney Barrett, 
and saying she's a pretty strong candidate. And I'm wondering if she, in your mind, is going to end up with the same personal attacks that Kavanaugh will. They say Democrats, if they're smart, will not go there. Do you think it's going to end up that way? God, Brian, I hope not. But I think that's what's going to happen because she is such a distinguished nominee. She's highly intelligent, first in her class at Notre Dame, outstanding experience. She's been a professor at Notre Dame, been a lower court judge, and a great character, has great character, large family, uh, you know, a very devout Catholic. So what else can they go after her? If they were, if the Democrats were going to evaluate her as they would any normal nominee, they would applaud and waver on through. But instead, I think they're going to have to go after her on personal uh, moral characteristics, which I think is terrible because I don't think there's she has any problems. So what they're going to do, I think, is they're going to go after her for being a devout Catholic and use her Catholic beliefs as a proxy to claim to people she's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. She's going to be against gay marriage. It's as if they think she's just going to be a representative of the Vatican on the Supreme Court. So let's hear that portion of the debate when they discuss just that topic. Cut 10. The president also is opposed to Roe v. Wade. That's on the ballot as well in the court, in the court. And so that's also at stake right now. And so the election is all You don't know it's begun. on the ballot. I, Why is it in the ballot? Because, because Why is you it on the ballot? It's not on the ballot. It's on the ballot in the I court. I don't think so. In the court. Well, There's nothing happening there. Donald, would you, you just don't know her me? view on Roe v. Wade. You I don't, don't know, know her view. So is he right? Is it not on the ballot, uh, interrupting or not? First of all, it's not on the ballot because I hope Amy Coney Barrett will be on the court before the election. But second, she hasn't written or said anything about Roe versus Wade. And most importantly, she's a distinguished scholar. She's written many, many articles. She has a record that everyone can look at. She importantly wrote an article saying Catholic judges have to follow the law. They're not supposed to import their views into uh, their job, into the Constitution. But really what disturbs me is that this association of religion with her views. Uh, I don't see Senate Democratic senators asking questions of Jewish nominees, of Protestant nominees, asking them if the dogma lives loudly in them, as Senator Feinstein did, or Senator Durbin saying, are they orthodox or not? I think it's a terrible precedent in our history for uh, Catholics to be singled out and attacked this way. I'm not Catholic, but I think it's wrong. And it almost verges on an unconstitutional religious test for public service. John, uh, John, you, the, the question is, too, as we get closer and closer, this, this seems to be on target to get addressed before November 3rd. Is there anything that the Democrats could do to slow it down, to get it past the election, create more controversy? Yeah, this was putting on my hat now as a former uh, staffer on the Senate Judiciary Committee back in the day. And, yes, they can slow things down. If the Republicans do everything right, everything goes smoothly, they could have a vote the week before the election. So what, this, what the Democrats would have to do is just throw such a temper tantrum that they bring the entire Senate, grind it to a halt, so it can't do any business. And maybe, maybe that could delay the vote, vote maybe pass one week or a week and a half past the election. But that would also mean saying we're not going to pass any legislation, including any kind of uh, coronavirus relief. We're not going to confirm any ambassadors, any generals, nobody. The whole government is going to get brought to a halt in the Senate. 
that, uh, that I mean, that's just like a petulant child who's just throwing a temper tantrum in my mind. They're going to have to vote sooner or later. It will be done by the end of the year. So the other big question, there's two other questions revolving the law that I think uh, fits into your book, too. Defender in chief, Donald Trump's fight for presidential power. The president, who everyone likes to say is a dictator, he's trying to be a fascist, he's trying to be an absolute monarch, has told cities, I will back you up on the coronavirus, I will provide whatever I can, but it's up to you. You know your people best, and he's he's done the best he could on that. When it comes to law and order, he says, hey, mayors, governors, I am here for you, obviously in Portland, Seattle, Chicago, uh, and in uh, different portions of the country, so at times New York. It's been out of control. Kenosha, Wisconsin for a while. Minneapolis for a while. I'll offer you support. But that's a local jurisdiction. If you're going to turn around and blame the president for that, you can't also turn around and say he's trying to be a dictator. Could you tell me the division of power? Brian, that's a great question. I think people should understand it better. I'm glad you brought it to light. President Trump has every incentive to try to take over everything when it comes to the coronavirus, because he's being blamed for decisions that he didn't even make, like out here in California, where the shutdown, you know, the seventh largest economy in the world, uh, which we've done for months, which the Governor Newsom has done for months and months now. He's not, he's resisted that impulse. He's respected the Constitution. As you said, Brian, the Constitution gives the states the primary duty to protect public health and safety, to take care of public health. And it's the states, not President Trump, under the Constitution, who can open and close businesses and gatherings in order to protect public health and safety. The federal government, as you said, Brian, their job is to support, supply money, resources, supplies, expertise to back up the states in both the pandemic and with policing. It's not Trump. It's actually his opponents who want to break, violate the Constitution. It's been Joe Biden and Democratic Party say the president should require every person in the country to wear a mask or who said, I'll shut down. Or I think Vice President Biden also says, I'll shut down everything if I have to. That's actually more of the actions of a dictator than respecting the federalism system of government that we have. And lastly, uh, on these mail-in ballots, I'm extremely frustrated, just me and obviously the president. But on a separate note, I do not think New Jersey, I do not think Nevada, I do not think Pennsylvania, out of the states, I know those three for sure, cannot on a dime be ready to do an effective job mailing out ballots unsolicited to everyone. Somehow this is Donald Trump's issue, not Joe Biden's. These are red states and blue states. All states are not capable of doing this outside the Colorados and Oregons who do this all the time. This is not absentee ballot. These aren't requested ballots. So why should we believe that this thing is not going to get all messed up? Oh, I don't think we should assume that everything will go smoothly. This is an unprecedented year. You've got, as you said, many states trying to use widespread mail-in balloting that haven't really done so before. And so in a close election in battleground states, if, it's, if, the, if there are close margins of victory, those kinds of ballots could make the difference. And if they do, then I think, as you say, both parties should want there to be an accurate count. Both parties should demand that the ballots be checked and make sure they're authentic. I, Nobody wants there to be disrupted voting. I know for, you know, I understand the decentralization is part of the security. I get it. But is, do states really have the right to get rid of that privacy envelope inside the other envelope so people can't see through it? Do they really have the right to give election workers chances to fix ballots because maybe the person didn't fill it out right or sign the back? 
this is this is why the uh, making sure the courts are fully staffed and filled and the ninth seat on the Supreme Court is filled is because we don't know. Uh, generally, the states are in charge of voting patterns, but if you see one party or the other making last-minute changes in the way elections are conducted, it's possible that's done for an advantage to get your candidate elected, and that's when courts have to step in and say you're not allowed to try to monkey around with the rules at the very last minute to try to favor one group or another group. And I think that's an important role. That's exactly why you don't want to pack the Supreme Court, why you don't want to politicize judiciary of the kind that the Democrats are promising us. 28,000 layoffs in Disney, a lot of which are coming in California because your governor refuses to listen to the Disney Corporation that has done it effectively in Orlando but can't get their attention in Anaheim. They're just taking the easy way out, shut it down out of a degree of caution. They don't understand, John, how many people are destroyed because their businesses will never reopen. I think if people want people want to live without Cal, live in California without the benefits of the good weather, then they should vote for Joe Biden because you can see what's going to happen with the kind of progressive platform they're promising out here in California already. And yet, as you said, the economy's been run into the ground. You've got these crazy wildfires going on. Yet, Governor Newsom's popularity is probably at an all-time high right now. But I think what you're seeing is a ter- this is a state that has amazing resources, people, industry, everything has all the benefits you could want in a state. And it's suffering, I think, primarily because of government mismanagement after one-party rule for so long. Yeah, they'll be out there for a government check because they no longer have a business, and then they realize there's no money there. And the federal government under Donald Trump is not going to write a check to California when they don't want to fix their own problems. John Yu, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me back. Pick up, uh, pick up his book, Defender-in-Chief. When we come back, your turn. one 408 Joe Biden has just spoken. Uh, we will bring you the latest. The market is responding favorably, I guess, to the debates and other aspects. We'll discuss that and take your calls when we come back on The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. He gave a tax giveaway for corporations when they moved jobs overseas to sell goods back to the United States. And here comes the train that he tried to make sure didn't continue to run. No, that's the commuter. All right. No, that's what. But folks, look. See that big corporation jump in front of the line to get the recovery aid the Congress had passed, while small businesses are struggling to stay open. In the end, his measure of economic health is the stock market. Well, that is, a, that is Joe Biden moments ago uh, speaking because he has a whistle-stop tour. 
and he is uh, deciding to hop on a train and travel around, which is a good idea, perhaps. He uh, gave his speech, then couldn't find his mask, walked around in a circle, and then left. But that was not really the best ad lib you've ever seen, where Trump would have rolled with that, and he didn't. But that's why Trump, next time, if there is a next time, has got to let Joe Biden answer the questions. At first, he thought he'd throw him off, and I could see it being a positive idea. You remember how he froze with everybody on the stage, but this time... It became clear the more he spoke, the little he said, and I think Chris Wallace would have followed up with a tough question right after. And we'll take your phone call to one 408 7669 But about the debate, Chris Christie had worked with the president before, but said, you know, I'm not going to go and help out the president to a great degree because I have a job to do on election day. I'm not going to be part of his team, but I can be an excellent analyst because I'll be on the inside and then I'll be on the outside. So here is Chris Christie breaking down what he saw in the debate. First off, Rob said earlier that it was the that it was the vice president's job tonight to reassure. I don't think that's a reassuring performance by the vice president tonight. He looked very shaky at many, many times during this debate. His numbers were way off. Um, he would wander off in mid-sentence and, and then used lots of name-calling and insulting language. That's not rising above it. And yeah, I think on the Trump side, it was too hot. I mean, you know, listen, you come in and decide you want to be aggressive, and I think that was the right thing to be aggressive, but that was too hot. And so I think that what happens is, with all that heat, as you said before, you lose the light. That potentially can be fixed. Maybe, maybe not. We'll have to see on the Trump side. On the Biden side, I'd be very concerned that well, his problems can't be fixed. Because if you're not up to being able to stand up there for 90 minutes and be consistently coherent, people are going to wonder whether you're going to be able to do that when you're sitting behind the desk in the Oval Office. So I think that's the issue that got raised tonight. Yeah, Cruz Christie able to do it fair and balanced is absolutely true. That's why if the president let him finish his thoughts, you would have saw how twisted they were. So also weighing in David Axelrod on the other side on a different channel, cut 45. This was Trump's greatest hits. I mean, it was all there, the conspiracy theories, the divisiveness, the inhumanity. It was all there for everyone to see. This is who he is. That's who came. That's what people saw. It will probably thrill some of his supporters, but it is going. it, it will, I predict, have turned off a lot of other people. And, I, and I, as I said earlier, I, I think he put a, a sorry end to a sorry saga uh, with his performance tonight. Well, I didn't love the end, but he does say he's concerned about the ballots. And then next thing you know, the debate was over. He could probably could have went a little bit further. Uh, but I'll talk to Chris Wallace. is going to be on tomorrow, so that'll be good. Uh, so let's go to Joe. Listen to WRCN. Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Uh, you are spot on with your analysis. That's exactly what I was thinking. Uh, fatal flaws from Trump. His interruptions were so distracting. Uh, he was his own worst enemy. He didn't let Chris Wallace do his job. Chris was very well. I'm not a fan of Chris Wallace, but the man was prepared, and Trump didn't let him follow up with the questions. He would have He would have went after Biden just as he goes after Trump. He didn't. He didn't let Biden be Biden. Biden, he would have sunk himself. The more he talked, Trump bailed him out. Uh, good points. Trump didn't call him names. Kudos right there. He uh, knowing that Biden orchestrated a coup against him, and Trump had command of the facts. Brian, he would have won on policy if he didn't interrupt. I blame his debate coaches. My conclusion: I give this to Biden uh, by a little bit because his expectations were so low, and Trump needed a knockout. He didn't get it. It's not. He's got. A, he, he stepped on his own message again. There were so many opportunities. Hey, Biden, 1.8% GDP is the new normal. That's what you said. No, I came in. It's Americans better than that. 
Why did he didn't follow up with that? He missed Joe, a lot you, of he should have had you as a debate coach. Thanks so much, Joe and WRCN uh, in New York. We'll see if there is another one. If not, I'm sure the president will be okay. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City. Information you want. Truth you demand. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a big hour coming your direction, and we're going to be joined by Chris Starwalt uh, shortly. And uh, we're also going to be joined by uh, Katie Walsh uh, from the Trump team. Uh, Katie Walsh Shields, I should say, from the Trump team. And that'll be coming up in about 10 minutes. But right now, I'll be able to squeeze in some calls and get to the big three. Keep in mind, you can always listen to the show, com if you ever miss it. And if you want to download the show and you ever miss it or you want to make your own schedule with it, uh, Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, all have it. Or com will give you information on it. So uh, we know we're talking about the debates, but here's how we're going to approach it. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There's supposed to be, the vice presidential debate is next, and then there's supposed to be two more presidential debates. I must say, I don't think the country's going to be yearning for another one of these. Uh, We'll see. Uh, Future debates. There are more presidential debates, uh, two more on deck, and one on Tuesday, VP debates. Should there be any more after what you saw last night? Let's discuss. Number two. That was a hot mess inside a dumpster fire, inside a train wreck. That was the worst debate I have ever seen. I'm just going to say it like it is. That was a show. Uh, Thanks for that. Uh, Analysis of debate number one. You'll hear the analysis, not just our channel, but every channel, as you heard it. And you just knew going in, they were going to say Biden won. He did finish the same way he started. But if you listen to what he said, he said almost nothing and committed to zero. Number one. You get the final word, Mr. Well, it's hard to get any word in with this clown. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. You're and the, the way, worst you president America has ha- ever had. Hey, Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just tell you, Joe, I've done more in, in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. De- debate one, a disaster for all, especially us, the American people. We'll bring you the moments that stand out for both good and bad reasons. And did anybody's minds change? I mean, I'll go over some highlights, but did anyone's minds change? I mean, about 80 million people probably watched this from various devices and televisions. And in the end, uh, the president of the United States was on top of the issues, but he didn't want to wait for uh, to Joe Biden not to finish. I think that in retrospect and thinking about it, if he trusted Chris Wallace to follow up like he's been known to do, he probably would have had more success. But I also think it's, it's important to point out that they expected Donald Trump to get down and dirty and say a lot of obnoxious things. Joe Biden called the president a clown. Joe Biden called the president a racist. Joe Joe Biden called the president a liar. Joe Biden called the president the worst president ever. He was the one, this guy, instead of this president. If it was the other way around or Trump was saying this guy to Barack Obama, you just know they were saying it if the president decided to run way back then. 
Uh, Biden didn't answer any questions, didn't answer about uh, uh, fattening up the Supreme Court and packing it with two more justices. He did not talk about the filibuster. He would not answer that question. He did not answer the question why the new Green Deal is uh, the structure they built his energy policy around, but it's not something he embraces. He did not talk about the document he and Bernie Sanders signed in order to get on the same page for their agenda to help him get elected. If you sign with a socialist, at least you have to admit that you're going to take some of his policies. Unless you think that Bernie Sanders is that naive and AOC is out there getting getting out the vote and is already on the record saying she's not happy with the way Joe Biden's talking about her. So sooner or later, Joe Biden's got to decide before the election, I think, whether he's going to be way to the left or stay in the middle. Because if he stays in the middle, he loses the way left. And if he loses the way left, he doesn't win. So here's Donald Trump uh, going at it, mostly with Chris Wallace. Cut four. If I may ask my question, sir. Good health care. Over the last four years, you have promised to repeal and replace Obamacare, but you have never in these four years come up with a plan, a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. Of course I have. Well, I got rid of the individual mandate. Excuse me. I got rid of the individual mandate, which was a big chunk of Obamacare. That is absolutely a big thing. That was the worst part of Obamacare. Chris, You're that was the worst part me. of Obama. Let me ask my question. Well, I'll, I'll ask Joe. I, 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 the individual no, I, mandate was the most unpopular Vice, aspect of Obamacare. I got rid of it. I'd like you and to, we will protect Mr. people. President, I'm the moderator of this debate, and I would like you to let me ask my question, and then you can answer Go your ahead. question. I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. President was really upset. He tweeted something out very similar to that. And I, I, for the next format, it could be even worse because Chris Wallace is the most fair moderator out of all of them. And the next one, I think, is going to be a town hall setting. If it's anything like the George Stephanopoulos setting, that whole crowd's going to be weighted against him. And if it's anything like the Anderson Cooper setting, it's all going to be for, in a town hall setting, Joe Biden. But pretty much a walk in the park. So Joe Biden and his COVID response. He's been very critical of the president. But we already know he's on the record still doing appearances, even though this virus was here. He also said called the president xenophobic, even though he shut down uh, all trips in and out of the uh, in and out of China, and then later on Europe, and we also know that he's trying to change history now. But in retrospect, being that he has all these years of experience, you would think he would have a plan, and how much better things would have been had he been president of the United States. I don't hear it here. You tell me. Cut seven. Fewer jobs than when he became president. First one in American history. Secondly, the people okay. who have just lost- on, on fewer jobs in American history, please. He had added more jobs and was en route to adding more jobs than just about any in American history outside coming off a depression. But the old economy fell apart because of a virus that came here, like of which we haven't seen in over 100 years, and the CDC wasn't prepared for. The president does not make up tests for viruses when he wins elections, which he probably didn't even acknowledge, number one. So anytime someone says you lost more jobs, come on, we're not dumb. That's like blaming, blaming Barack Obama for the Great Recession. It's not his fault. Now, what the president also brought up is, you know, you, I added all these jobs. That's uh, Obama added all these jobs, and Chris Wallace brought that up. No kidding. When you have unemployment that was at 13%, you have a lot of room to grow. But when the president took over, I think unemployment was at 6%. He got it down to 3%. It's a lot harder to do one than the other. Just for example, when the president gets the economy going in the third quarter and he adds more jobs, he's going to hit record numbers. But because we lost them all, self, uh, self-inflicted self wound, we lost them all in the spring of last year. Get it? I know you do. 
More from um, the COVID response, Joe Biden. Who have been on the front lines, those people who have been saving our lives, those people who have been out there dying, people who have been putting themselves in the way to make sure that we could all try to make it. And the idea that he is insisting that we go forward and open when you have almost half the states in America with a significant increase in COVID deaths and COVID cases in the United States of America. And he wants to open it up more. Why does he want to open it up? Why doesn't he take care of the America? You can't fix the economy until you fix the COVID crisis. And he has no intention of doing anything about making it better for you all at home in terms of your health and your safety. They do this again. You take a deep breath. You say, okay, you want me to take care of the virus? What do you want me to do? You want testing? Okay. 80 million tests went out yesterday. I have a test. We, uh, we have a, a basically, I think, 70 or 80 different tests flooded out all these different states. Oh, you think the federal response should have been greater? Okay, you want to coordinate 50 states, deliveries in 50 states, and you think it's going to be fair? And you think it's going to be as pervasive? You think I'm going to be able to hit California with the same amount of tests I'm doing Texas at the same amount of tests I'm giving Ohio? No. Well, what I do is I put the governors in charge. If you want to say don't put the governors in charge, say it. And then it's an interesting debate. But what he's saying, you want to open up the economy before the virus is taken care of, of course, because you can't eradicate a virus that's global. You cannot continue to stop sports in school, open up the schools. Okay, how? Change the filtration. Do you want him there changing the filtration system in Queens, New York or in Cleveland, Ohio? You put the people, the mayors and the governors in charge. That's the way it works. Are you pretending you don't know? If you don't know, it's scarier than if you do know. And then you, you're, you're opening up the government. Why? Because scientists can't run your government. Just like generals can't run the war. You could tell them you want to handle it till you hear their tactics, you okay their tactics. You oversee it. But at the same time you're running a war, you also got to run an economy and an education system and, and domestic issues. You can't say scientists run this pandemic. That's not going to work because they have no sense of anything besides their area of expertise. Why should they? The depression, the divorce, the loss of businesses, the loss of a living, the loss of legacies, the loss of pensions, the, the loss of savings. Ben, listen on WABC. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben, you're on. Okay, we're uh, still working out this new board. Uh, Melody, listen to WLNI in Virginia. Hey, Melody. Yes, good morning. What's on your mind, Melody? How are you? Oh, I didn't know I was connected. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm a new listener and, and wish I could vote for you. Um, I have never voted Democrat in my life, and I voted for Trump last time. He brought me to tears last night when he slipped in the Hunter Biden drug issue. Um, I'm aligned with so much that he does, but how can we elect a president president who is rude and won't let someone finish the Senate? Well, that's true, but also Joe Biden was interrupting as well, and he felt like he was isolated because he thought the moderator seemed to be uh, on his side, on his opponent's side. I think the president should have let it breathe, absolutely. But the president, you just judge him for what he did for three and a half years. Melody, the one thing he brought up is that he says his son did nothing wrong uh, when I didn't think it was necessary to bring up he was kicked out of the military, but the president did his homework. The one thing that has nothing to do with drugs is investment with the Moscow mayor's wife, nothing to do with drugs, the Burisma story, nothing with the drugs going to Air Force Two and investing in those hedge funds with 
uh, the China, which uh, guys linked to the People's Liberation Army in China, that should that should that is warranting of an answer, and he never got that. Thanks, Melody. When we come back, we're going to be joined uh, by a very special guest. We're going to be joined by Katie Walsh, who was on the campaign in 2016 and is back in 2020 for Trump. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Are you prepared to to specifically do it? I I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing. Not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call them? What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a white name. White supremacists and right like me to condemn? White supremacists and right proud boys. boys. Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. Uh, for some reason, the president did not just say, hey, of course I condemn white supremacists because we all know he does. And anyone who knows him knows he's not a racist. I'm not sure why he made things more difficult on himself. Katie Walsh joins us now. Uh, Katie, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. So I was a little surprised at that answer. Uh, and I should say Katie Walsh Shields, congratulations. But Katie, uh, were you surprised by that answer? Do you think the president will clarify that today? I think what you just said is right. I think the president said over and over again he condemns white supremacy, and he's not a racist. And I've worked for the president um, both at the White House and in the 2016 campaign. I've never seen the president do anything that I would I would sense as any sort of racist position. What I think trips the president up a little bit was that the way that the moderator asked the question, he said, "Would you say, would you ask them to stand down?" And so I think when the president came back to answer the question, he said, sure, I'm prepared to ask them to stand down. And then he kind of said, and stand by. And I think that got us in a little bit of a what did he really mean by that? But I don't think the president has any qualms about saying these folks need to stand down. I am completely against white supremacy. And I think he'll clarify that uh, in the coming days. Right. So last night I could tell the president certainly wasn't nervous, but it was extremely aggressive. What was his approach going in, do you think? I think his approach going in is I'm going to draw a real contrast between myself and Joe Biden. Um, And I don't think Joe Biden gave any reason for an independent voter to vote for him last night. And I think the president did a really good job of trying to force Joe to take positions and talk about what he would do and showed the American public that Joe refused to give answers on things. He couldn't talk about a policy as it relates to the economy that would be different other than tax hikes and taking away the Trump tax cuts. He couldn't refute when the president talked about the fact that former vice president oversaw when he was 
in office for eight years, the worst recovery since the Great Depression. And he couldn't refute the fact that the president has created, I think it's 10 million jobs in the last four months. And so I think you saw the president try and force former Vice President Biden to take positions and tell the American public what he wants to do. And, and Biden just couldn't answer any of those questions. So the president was very aggressive in saying, here's what I've done, Joe. What, are, what would you do? And Joe couldn't answer. Right. Uh, and here is Joe Biden taking on the president on something that, uh, that many people, including me, consider a success. Cut 18. And so you take a look at what he's actually done. He's done very little. His trade deals are the same way. He talks about these great trade deals. You know, he talks about the art of the deal. China's made perfected the art of the steel. We have a higher deficit with China now than we did before. We have the highest deficit, trade deficit China with Mexico. And he went after him. So what do you think about the president and trade deals? Is he vulnerable there? I don't think he is. I think the American public knows that that is a joke. I mean, the, the position president's taken as relates to NAFTA, um, as it relates to his candidacy going all the way back to when he came down the escalator in 2015. He talked about how important it was to put America in a stronger position on these trade deals. I think Joe Biden is completely left exposed on China. He, I mean, he championed China's entry in the World Trade Organization. There's no doubt in my mind the American public knows that the president will be tougher on China than Joe Biden. Right. Katie Walsh with us. Katie, I know he's going to be in Duluth tonight at an event. What's going to be the schedule? And do you expect, to, does the Trump team, which you're a key member of, does expect Joe Biden to come for debate number two? You know, it's really interesting. If I were Joe Biden's team, I'd be telling him not to. If I were Jen O'Malley Dillon this morning, I'd be saying, how am I going to get out of this? Um, Joe Biden, I don't think, gave, as we talked about, independent voters or even undecided voters any reason to vote for him last night. And if I'm Jen O'Malley Dillon, I'm saying, why am I going to put him out and expose him again like this when the president's just going to continue to try and force him to answer questions that Joe Biden's not prepared to answer? And so I, I'd be shocked if Joe Biden, if you don't see the, the Biden team trying to find a way out of this. Um, I don't know if that ultimately means they don't debate another time, but I think you're going to start seeing excuses out of the Biden camp for why they shouldn't have another debate. Can you give me a sense of what the Trump team felt after the debate last night? Well, I think they felt incredibly positive. I think they thought the president showed up last night. He's exactly who he's been the last four years, which is an aggressive advocate for the American worker. Um, I think there, you can't walk away from that debate and have any question about what the president stands for and what he's done for the, for the country and the contrast that that shows. The other thing that I thought was just incredibly telling was that Joe Biden couldn't name one law enforcement agency that's endorsed him. One of the major topics that we're talking about in this election is law and order and, um, you know, the need for having the conversation about what that looks like in this country. And when you have police organization after police organization endorsing the president, and Joe Biden can't even name one. That's a pretty stark contrast. And so I think on the topics that we believe voters are talking about, the economy and law and order, the president knocked it out of the park last night. Well, lastly, do you have a number in terms of funds that have come in since the debate? I don't. Um, I, you know, I think you'll see the campaign put something out today. I, you know, what I've always been amazed about is the president's low dollar um, fundraising ability. He has created a low dollar network for the Republican Party like we've never seen. And they're going to show up for the president time after time after right. time. And so I'm, I'm not worried about fundraising. These folks are going to show up. And the other thing I always know when we talk about fundraising is that the, the majority of low dollar donors to the president are women. Uh, uh, Katie, thanks so much. Always great to talk to you. Always interesting. Appreciate it. 
Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. show like no other it's brian kilmeade as far as the ballots are concerned it's a disaster a solicited ballot okay solicited is okay you're soliciting you're asking they send it back you send it back i did that if you have an unsolicited they're sending millions of ballots all over the country there's fraud they found them in creeks they found some with the name trump just happened to have the name trump just the other day in a waste paper basket. They're being sent all over the place. They sent two in a Democrat area. They sent out a thousand ballots. Everybody got two ballots. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. And the president of the United States kind of ended that way. It kind of skidded to a halt last night because he's upset about the unsolicited mail-in ballots. Uh, I think he has a reason. I think both sides have a reason. I don't know who's going to benefit if people count inaccurately or make so many mistakes they're not usable. But if you have ballot issues, perhaps you have to look, open up the New York Post today. As many as, get this, 140,000 New Yorkers received absentee ballots with the wrong names and addresses. Uh, they are blaming it on the third-party vendor. The City Board of Election is blaming that problem on the vendor that was contracted to print and mail the ballots for voters in Brooklyn and Queens. Look, not many people think the president's going to win uh, Brooklyn and Queens, but that's not the point. There are local elections, there are congressional elections, there are Senate elections. People just want you to get it right. Chris Dyerwald's with us. Uh, Chris, you're in Cleveland still? No, 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 no. I didn't go to I wish. I wish. I love Cleveland. I love Cleveland. Right. I was at, I was at HQ here in Washington. Okay, headquarters, right? That's right. Thank you. Uh, so what do you, I just got to make sure people aren't left out. Got to make sure people know. Right. I don't want to get people so used to the insider Sometimes jargon. Sometimes it's the hindquarters, I will confess. Not in my book. Thank uh, you, sir. Chris, the president's concern about unsolicited mail-in ballots, is it valid? Well, I mean, we should remember every election has misfeasance and malfeasance, right? Every election, there's never been an election that has taken place in the United States. And by the way, fraud used to be much, much worse. Fraud used to be 1960 election, stolen in every in every likelihood, uh, Kennedy stole Kennedy and the uh, and the Chicago mob, Lyndon Johnson's crew in Texas, and some folks in Louisiana probably stole the 1960 election. Uh, and as a West Virginian, I can tell you that paying for votes and all of that stuff has been part of our story going all the way back. So every election has two things in it: actual fraud. We saw it in 2018, a, a House race in North Carolina. The results were thrown out. Uh, by the State Board of Elections because of ballot rigging. People were illegally harvesting ballots, uh, and and it cost the Republicans a seat there uh, for a while. So we know fraud is real. It happens in every election. And we also know that mistakes are real. Uh, Those of us who lived through the 2000 election remember the freakout that Democrats had, where they said, well, these people didn't mean to vote. These are these are Jews in Palm Beach County. They didn't mean to vote for 
Holocaust skeptic Pat Buchanan. And the answer was tough noogies. That's what the ballot says. And we're not counting what they wanted to do. We're counting what they did. So this has always been with us. I think the president is, from a political standpoint, trying to brace his supporters. And he uh, last night described the, the, the arc of events. Looks okay for Trump on election night. But then as the ballots trickle in, Trump either falls farther behind or his lead is eliminated. And he wants his supporters and, by the way, his lawyers in court to have their talking points and be ready with an argument to say that these are invalid because they're mail-in. And that's what they're taking to court now. That's what the Supreme Court's probably going to have to eventually decide. Yeah, I mean, there's so many issues. We know what happened in Minneapolis. They're now investigating that Veritas program on camera. They have people who work for uh, Elon Omar. Her name is, uh, his name is Liban Mohammed, uh, ballot harvester, saying he gets paid to pick up ballots from other people and bring them forward. So they're investigating that in Minneapolis. I just told you about what's happening in New York with 140,000 tickets. Uh, uh, ballots. And in Iowa, they're debating now whether they should allow election workers to fix ballots for people that didn't fill it out right. And then we know the extension of two weeks in Michigan. Two weeks? We'd go by Pony Express with the post office? If you can't, pr- if you can't get a letter, uh, a ballot to the office in two weeks if that's postmarked, I guess, November 3rd, there's a bit of a problem there. There's going to be skepticism. Why build all these problems into it? Why can't they both sides work together? Because they just don't we all want an accurate did, result? Did you did you watch did you watch the debate last night? Why can't both sides work together? Pa! Uh-huh. Um, look, the Democrats are going to do everything that they can, as they do in every election, to make things as as loose and lax as possible. We know the drill every two years. Democrats go to court and say, keep the polls open because there were lines in the cities. And the Republicans say, nay, nay, you must not. All right. So we have uh, we have we have a longstanding arc between the two parties where Democrats say more, more, more. And Republicans say less, less, less. This is not a new invention. What is new this time and what is concerning after watching last night, if this gets dicey, these two people are not able to communicate with each other, right? Nope. They, they, they seemed like a couple involved in a really acrimonious divorce. Exactly. It was very ugly. And if things get weird, as they did in 2000, right? In living memory, we have a, an example of this happening. If things get weird, every election is weird. If, th- if this one gets weird, really weird, I have no confidence that those two men are going to be able to resolve this in a way that befits the republic. Absolutely. And I want you to hear a little of the debate and a little of the chaos. There's, so we have literally 70 cuts, you could imagine, even no. over three hours. Huh. Here's a little oh of the God. battle don't that went me, on. Don't that, make me relive it all. I know. Uh, here's a little of the battle that went on with our own Chris Wallace. If I may ask my question, sir. Good health care. Over uh, the last four years, you have promised to repeal and replace Obamacare, but you have never in these four years come up with a plan a comprehensive plan to replace Obamacare. Of course I have. Well, I'll I got rid of the individual mandate. Excuse me. I got rid of the individual mandate, which was a big chunk a of Obamacare. That is absolutely a big thing. That was that, the worst I, I part of Obamacare. Sir, 
Chris, You're that was the worst part me. of Obama. Let me ask my question. Well, I'll, I'll ask Joe. I, 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 the individual no, I, mandate was the most unpopular Vice, aspect of Obamacare. I got rid of it. I'd like and you to, we will protect Mr. people President, with I'm the moderator devices. of this debate, yeah. and I would like you to let me ask my question, and then you can answer Go your question. Go ahead. I guess I'm debating you, not him, but that's okay. I'm not surprised. So it goes ugly. Do you ever remember a point like that before in a debate? You know, it's funny. Trump was a, a good debater in 2016, and I actually had pretty high expectations for him. Um, he was good because he got his jabs in effectively uh, at Clinton, and he was really on message. In 2016, Donald Trump was on message, and he was quite—he defied expectations in 2016. So I expected quite a lot uh, of him and actually thought Biden was in a pretty difficult position because— after lowering expectations to the floor for Biden, basically, is he uh, more sentient than a sea sponge? Uh, the the Trump campaign and the president had pretty effectively turned it around into like, well, I don't know, you know, Biden may be out there mixing it up. Uh, and that's why it was so weird for me. And I think that exchange encapsulated it very much, which is Trump was so came in so hot. He was so overmodulated. He stepped on his own lines. And he couldn't like the worst thing you can do to Joe Biden is let him talk. The absolute worst thing you can do to Joe Biden. You remember that he did an interview with uh, somebody on MSNBC. And, oh, it's um, Stephanie Rule. And Biden lost his train of thought. And she had to say, I think we were talking about this. Oh, yes. Right. Quite so. Quite yeah. so. Quite so. Worst mm -hmm. thing you can do to Biden is let him talk. Trump didn't let anybody talk. He was like a, a bulldozer mounted with machine guns just trying to steamroll the whole debate. And as a result, I think he just he missed so many opportunities to make his case right. effectively the way he did four years ago. Because we still don't know what Joe Biden would do different on the coronavirus. We still don't know if he's going to pack right. the courts. We still don't know if he's going to support the filibuster. We still don't know where exactly he lands with and against Bernie Sanders or AOC. And this morning, to back up your point that you just made, Joe Biden went and made a speech after a debate and a train came by. Let's listen. He gave a tax giveaway for corporations when they moved jobs overseas to sell goods back to the United States. And here comes the train that he tried to make sure didn't continue to run. No, that's the commuter. All right. No, that's what. But folks, look. <laughs> See that big corporation jump in front of the line to get the recovery aid the Congress had passed, while small businesses are struggling to stay open. Yeah. In the end, <laughs> his measure of economic health is the stock market. You got the idea, Chris. Toot. Yeah. Toot. <laughs> so do you think we're going to have a second debate? I know we're going to have a vice presidential debate, and it'll be civil. But do you think you we're going to have a second one? Steve Scully is a, is a prince of a guy. Steve Scully from C-SPAN, he's a friend of mine and just a wonderful human being. Um, Oops. <laughs> that's right. not going to work in this, uh, that's gonna work in this format. That's the wrong casting. Uh, I, you know what I think? I think we probably will. I, I, it is now in my – I never had any doubt that Biden would debate. A lot of people say, oh, Biden, he's not going to debate. I never had any doubt that he would debate. And his campaign says that he will be there. I now have some doubt, though, a little bit. But one thing I am much sure I think is a much more likely outcome. Right. I think you will see a very different Donald Trump on October 15th. Right. And wait a second, Allison, you could tell Chris because you like Chris better uh, than no. Uh, you like Chris <laughs> better than me anyway. Uh, Allison, tell Chris what you just said to me. 
No, they were uh, reporting on another network how much money the, camp- the Biden campaign is bringing in today after the debate last night. Which makes you think they're going to debate, right? Their, their single biggest hour. Their single biggest hour of fundraising. And, you know, the thing – that's the thing about why you let Biden talk and why you let Chris Wallace prosecute the case – or not pro- not prosecute the case, but to ask the tough adversarial questions, You why you let that play out. Biden – Trump has never lets Biden run into his biggest problem. Single biggest threat – to Joe Biden's victory is that, is that the left wing of the Democratic Party revolts. That's the single biggest threat to Biden is that they say, you know what, I, you're, you're almost as bad as Trump. I cannot tolerate voting for you and have their enthusiasm go down. But every day, Trump finds a way to rev up Democratic enthusiasm. He could win this election if he could control himself for two weeks and let the focus shift to Biden. That's true over the long arc of the campaign of these weeks and months. But it's also true in the debates. Let the focus shift to Biden and let it become a referendum, not on Donald Trump's leadership, but on whether or not Biden is suitable to replace him. All right, Chris, I really enjoyed our time together. And let's let's hope a train doesn't ever interrupt our our give and take. Only a freight train of excellence, my friend. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. When we come back, we come back to wrap things up in just a moment. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Brian Kilmeade. You agreed with Here's Bernie Sanders to the manifesto. There is no manifesto, number Please one. Please let him speak, Mr. Number President. two. You just lost the left. Number two. I, I, you just lost the left. You agreed with Bernie Sanders on a plan. How, uh, folks, absolutely folks, agreed do you have to, any idea what this clown is doing? Mr. Do you have any do? Socialized medicine. Mr. President. Well, I'll tell you what. He is not for any help for people needing health care because his because he in fact already has cost 10 million people their health care that they had from their employers because of his recession number one number two there are 20 million people getting health care through obamacare now that he wants to take it away he won't ever look you in the eye and say that's what he wants to do. Take it away. No, I want to give Number him better health care at a much lower price but, because by the way, he doesn't know no how good. he doesn't know how I've to do that. Fixed it. He has never I've offered a plan. Fixed it to an extent. He has Obama never care, done a as single you might thing. Know. By the way, uh, that in that chaos center, Cassidy had defined it before. He went in. He's a doctor. They helped fix Obamacare to bring the prices down for middle class people, and the president's just got to do a better job or do a job articulating that. So he's aggressive, he was confident, but he was too aggressive. It happens. There's no way he won that debate, but I don't think there's any way Joe Biden won the debate either. If you say, well, the president was crass and he was unpresidential, he called the president a clown, he called him a racist, uh, he called him the worst president ever. So please, spare me that, that this is it, that Joe Biden acted presidential because he didn't. Well, let's go to the phones. Rebecca is listening in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Rebecca. 
Hey, Brian, thanks for taking my call. Um, you know, I watched the debate, and up front, it was obvious to me that what Trump was trying to do is, I believe what his strategy was, was to try to rattle Biden. And, you know, up front, it seemed okay, but then it just got intensified and worse, and it got to be a little bit, way, well, actually way too much. And by, by Trump constantly interrupting both Chris Wallace and Biden, what he effectively did was reduce the amount of time that he would have to make points and call Biden out on things that he wasn't willing to answer. Like, you know, he could have pressed him on things like where he's been saying he's going to pack, you know, the uh, party's going to pack the court and he wants to close down the country and he wants to confiscate guns. Um, he would have had time. And, and like uh, Chris uh, Steyerwald just said, the more you let Biden talk, the more confused he gets. And he would have been better off to just let Biden do his two minutes because eventually yeah. he was going to run out of words from his pre-practiced, rehearsed script that he was obviously going off of because he, I don't believe he has any original thoughts. I think he was fed all the words. So I think you're right, but I think the conventional wisdom was if you watch the other debates, when he got interrupted, he got stuck. And the president thought, I'm going to interrupt him. I'm not just going to say crazy stuff. I'm going to just say stuff that I'm going to interrupt him in live, in, you know, in real time. And I think you're right. In retrospect, you're 100% right. I wouldn't say that that was the theory going in, because when he gives speeches and gets some questions, he gets confused. But in the debates with other Democrats, I'd necessarily, I'm not really sure that that was the thing. Barry, listen to WNIS in, uh, in Virginia Beach. Barry. Hey, sir. How you doing? Good. What's um, in your mind? Look, we, you know, we got a little four weeks to go. It looks like. Pennsylvania might not go to Trump. And if any of these polls are right, he's about seven points behind. What does he have to do in a little over four weeks to pull this off? And uh, you think he's got a decent shot at it? Oh, I think he absolutely has a decent shot of it. I think there is a, there is a lot of truth to the hidden Trump voter uh, that's going to rise up. I think he's just got to be solid all the way through on the on the on the next couple of weeks. Uh, don't make uh, don't make anything. Uh, is sensational. Don't go for the big headline. Don't go for the executive order with no teeth behind it. But hopefully he could start getting start pushing some of these governors and mayors to open up these businesses. But they're supposed to have a huge third quarter. And I think by all indications, that would be the perfect momentum to say, who's the guy you want running the economy as it comes back and turn the quarter on the virus? Elizabeth Scottsdale. Elizabeth for taking my call. I do want to just say one comment um, from last night's debate. We have to keep in mind that Donald Trump is not a polished politician, and we didn't elect him to be that way. Uh, Joe Biden has been at it for so many years. What did we hear last night? 47 years. And he is. He's a polished politician. But we're not looking for a polished politician. We, we elected Donald Trump because he tells it like it is. You know where you stand with him. Gotcha, and Elizabeth. unlike Joe Biden, who can look in the camera. I understand, Elizabeth. No one thinks he's a polished politician. See if it's enough to win it all, though. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.